0: If you uh, got your Bible, you can find Exodus 3 or continue on in a series called uh, Made for More. If you could just do me a big favor and turn to your neighbor and say to them, you were made for more. You were made for more. All right. Do they believe you? Maybe. It will be more convincing. You've got to sell it, all right? Uh, good to be here and uh, we are continuing on in that series and today is really a, a fun, fun day uh, because we really get to look and say and ask the question, of, well, how does that happen? How do we become more? Uh, usually when we hear those words, uh, they're followed with you need to try harder, you need to do more, you need to be better at whatever it is that you do in life or you need to, you know, eat lunch at your desk and try harder and work harder. And uh, the great news, the great news of the gospel is that everything that God desires for us, everything that God wants to see happen in our lives and in our hearts and in our world, uh, all happens through Him. And that the closer we draw to God, uh, the more we begin to see that we were made for more. The, The deeper we are in our relationship with God, the more evident it becomes of who we were meant to be and what it is God desires for our lives. And hopefully that's happened for many of you. I was thinking this morning about the Kairos weekend, this wonderful prison ministry that we have as a church and uh, happens all over Texas and in our country. And I was thinking about the fact that I don't know for sure, and I'm sure one of the Kairos people will come and give me the exact history of it, but I'll guarantee you that the way that it all began was that at some point there was somebody that was in prayer and they began to get an image and an idea that Maybe we could do a spiritual retreat, a three-day weekend retreat, in the prison for people that can't leave. I mean, can you imagine that person praying and and they're they're listening to God and God saying, "Hey, what I want you to do is go into the prison and I want you to organize a three-day spiritual retreat uh, for about forty-two to fifty people." Can you imagine what you would say back to God at that point? I know what many of y'all would say, if you're like, "You have the wrong person," right? And you can imagine like the, how that conversation went for the person that was going to organize Kairos. They're like, okay, God, well, that sounds spectacular. Uh, what do you have in mind? Well, three days, three days in a, a prison retreat. And not only are you going to recruit 42 people that are inmates or 42 people that, you know, have had some, some difficult times in their past, but uh, I want you to go ahead and feed them and uh, give them good food, and then you're gonna need music. I don't play any instruments. Well, you're gonna have to recruit somebody to do music, Um, and then you're gonna have to get people that are gonna lead the small groups for the prisoners. You mean I can't do it all myself? No, you can't do it yourself. You're gonna have to find more people to help you. Um, All right, well, that sounds great. How much is that gonna cost? Well, it's gonna be around, you know, thousands, right? And and you'd say to yourself, oh, I I have like 50 bucks in the bank, Lord. How's this all gonna happen? I mean, can you, can you just imagine? And yet, time and time again, weekend after weekend, uh, those prisoners are amazed and blown away by what God does through the life of people like you and I. Uh, people that were willing to take a small step of faith and say, I could, I could find some time to make that happen. And the result is that great things happen, more than we ever imagined. Jonathan, you're off the hook. I don't want it. I'm just going to use the stool. We're good. Thanks, ma'am. Um, and, uh, I mean, you think about also that, you know, Jonathan's over there, sometime next summer he's going to want to take 50, 60, 100 kids to, uh, on retreats, on mission trips, to camp, and all of that takes people, people like you and I. It also takes money. I don't know, and I don't mean to offend, but are you all aware that teenagers are broke? <laughs> right? They, they don't have the money to fund themselves usually. Some of them do, but most of them don't. And so that's got to come from somewhere. And today, you know, the first step toward what's gonna, the great things that are going to happen next summer begins with the setup of the pumpkin patch. Rain or shine, they're going to be setting that up so the great things can happen next summer. So it's just amazing to me. Now, you think about larger projects like that or on a, a more individual basis in your own life, you know. When you look ahead at the next five to six years, there there may be something in the way of what you think is just impossible to overcome, or maybe you see a need in the world, and you say, you know, if somebody would just fix that, if somebody would just change that, our world would be so much better, and you think to yourself, I I wish I was more, I wish I had more money, I wish I had more time, I wish I had more abilities or skills, And, and if I did, then surely I could do something about that, you know. That's how most of us kind of look at the world. We say, you know, there's a lot of things that could be better, a lot of things that could change, and yet I don't think I'm the right person for it. I don't think I have the abilities or the time. I've got a 30-year mortgage, student loans, three kids, braces, everything like that. You know, how am I possibly going to find time or energy or want to to make a difference in the world? I think that's how many of us live our lives, and yet God has something greater for us in mind. Now, uh, one of my hands now, one of my favorite conversations that happens between somebody and God about this specific thing is found in Exodus chapter 3. And it happens between Moses and God. And uh, there's a piece of it that I've always just been blown away by that I want to read for you today. And it's chapter 3, verse 19. God talking to Moses. He says, "However." I know that Egypt's king won't let you go unless he's forced to do it. I mean, wouldn't that be a refreshing thing to hear from God? God speaks to you and says, I, I know you can't do it, uh, and it won't happen, so I'll take care of it. Right? And he's saying, Egypt's king, that's Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the most powerful leader in the rule- world at the time. He's got the biggest army, the most might, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Nobody tells Pharaoh what to do except for Pharaoh. And God's saying, oh, no, it's not going to happen without me, so I got it. And uh, so he says, I'll use my strength, and I'll hit Egypt with dramatic displays of my power. And Moses is maybe thinking to himself, so God's going to smack Pharaoh, and this is all going to happen somehow. And after that, he'll let you go. Moses is nodding. He's like, okay, okay, sure. Verse 21, I'll make it so that when you leave Egypt, the Egyptians will be kind to you, and you won't go away empty-handed. Every woman will ask her neighbor along with the immigrant in her household for their silver and their gold jewelry, as well as their clothing. Then you will put it on your sons and daughters, and you will rob the Egyptians. So what's so profound to me is not not only is God saying, I've heard your biggest concerns— you know, God's not only saying that I've heard your biggest concerns, but God's also saying, and I'm going to make it all better. I'm going to fix it. And then the part that just completely blows me away is God says, not only am I going to do that, but that on your way out, there are going to be people that are handing you gold and silver and the clothes off their back because they're so excited you're leaving. I mean, do you? Do you I mean, that is just mind blowing to me. That not only is God saying, I'm going to take care of whatever your biggest concern is, but on top of that, I'm going to throw in some bonus, some gravy, some yap. You know, I'm going to give you some extra here that you never even thought possible. I mean, you, you think about what's, what's your biggest concern? I mean, your, your biggest fear right now. Maybe it's a job situation. And can you imagine God saying, not only am I going to give you a job, but it's going to pay you way more than you're worth. <laughs> And, and you're going to make so much that, that you, you're going to retire quicker than you ever thought possible. I mean, I mean that's the kind of thing that's happening here with God. God's saying, look, I know who you are, Moses. I know your struggles. I mean, usually when we're talking to God, when we're praying to God, we, we tell God all kinds of great excuses as to why we can't do anything about our situation, right? I know I'm not the only one that goes to God and says, look, I am, I am not enough. For what you're asking, I am inadequate. I don't have the skills. I don't have the abilities. I, I have so many problems and struggles, Lord. You need to find somebody else, right? This is exactly what Moses does. Moses says, "Look, I'm a horrible public speaker. There's the whole back thing back in Egypt. Um, you know, they're probably still looking for me for that guy I killed on my way out of that bad day of work. And yet, God continues to talk to him. He says, "Well, you know, if you're a bad speaker, I'll give you Aaron." He can go with you, and um, I'll I'll give you a couple other things, and and it'll make it happen, and it'll work. But what about you, when you think about how you are called to step out in faith? When's the last time that you had to step out in faith, something that you looked forward ahead of time, and you said, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how it's possibly going to work, and yet you take that next small step forward and you say, I'm I'm just going to trust in what God is about to do. When have you had to do that? If you're answering, never, did you ever get married? I mean, my wife had no clue what it would be to be married to a Methodist pastor, right? Did you ever take a job that you weren't sure about? This uh, past Friday, my wife and I uh, had to replace one of our vehicles, and so we bought a used car, and I was talking to the guy that was selling me the car, and I said, hey, what happens... If, um, I mean, is there a warranty? Do you offer any kind of warranty? If, if we get this used car home and it just falls apart into pieces in my driveway tonight, what happens? He said, you will own every part. <laughs> when, is, when is the last time you had to step out in faith and trust in what God was going to do next? When was that? Right? And, and recognize and see what God is saying here. He's saying not only... Am I going to do what I alone can do, but that I am going to make it even better than you could possibly imagine? Do you believe that about God? Do you trust in God in that way? I think we live in a culture that's really struggling with that. And I think it's far simpler than most people imagine. Many of the people that I talk to today, they're fearful, they're worried, they're anxious about their future. They're wondering what's going to happen next, what's going to happen in their marriage, what's going to happen in their job. Uh, They do everything they can to secure it, and yet they don't feel secure. We have probably the most safe and secure environment we've ever had. Children today have so many safety measures that were not there when I was a kid, and yet people don't feel secure or safe for their children, right? And, And that we live in a world where uh, so many people think that the answer to feeling secure and feeling at peace and feeling comfortable and knowing and trusting in what's coming next, they believe it all starts with them. And, and I don't blame them. My wife is a, a student teacher. She's learning. She's been going through school. And one of the things that she said that's the, the new way of doing things in the classroom is that it needs to be student-focused. Have you all heard this? In the classroom, that everything should be student-focused. When I was a kid, everything was what? Teacher-centered. We did what they said. We listened. Or there was consequences. And everything's now is, is student focused. And that's not only true in, in the classroom, but I think it's also true in a lot in terms of the workforce. You need to be employee focused. You need to focus on what their needs are, what their concerns are, help them to do their job the best that they possibly can. I mean, what's next, folks? Are we gonna have a military that is soldier focused? Are y'all even hearing me? Is my hello, are y'all Are we going to have a military where you're going to have a private come in, you know, he's going to tell his sergeant, I'm just not feeling it today. (laughs) And let let me just be clear that when it comes to our faith and what we believe, it is never us focused. It never will be. In order for it to be Christianity, everything is God focused. Everything we do should be about how do we know more about God? How do we learn more about God? How do we worship God more? If you are fearful, anxious, worried, concerned, and all those other things, it's probably because you keep on looking at your own life and saying, I am not enough. You are not. You never will be. And you can go home and say, Rick is the meanest preacher ever. (laughs) Or you can go home and say, he's right. I will always be somebody that is not enough for what God is calling me to do. And God doesn't want that to be the case. God wants us to look and say, lean into God. Trust in what God is doing. Believe in what God can do, that God can do all things. That is where he invites us to. If, in fact, you're at a place where you are willing to confess that and say, I don't have it in me, I don't have the power to save myself, I can't save the world on my own, I look around me and the, pe- the friends and the people that are in my life, they're not enough either. Then you're at exactly where God wants you to be, in a place where you have to say, without God it won't happen. And that you're invited today to simply lift up your prayers and to call out to Him and say, Jesus, I need you. I need your help. I need you to be a part of my life each and every day and to look for that to happen. I know, I know, I know we all want the five-year plan in front of us from God, right? A couple years ago, it was actually a decade ago, I wish I had bought it. I was at a, a bookstore with uh, where they had a left-behind Bible. If any of y'all own a left-behind Bible and would like to sell it to me, I could desperately use it because I've talked about this several times in preaching. But the left-behind Bible had a map at the end, had like a timeline at the end, and it had everything sequential about how things were gonna end, right? And it told you exactly how those things were gonna happen. I thought, man, they're gonna sell a lot of these because people don't wanna live off of day-to-day the way God wants them to live, to have that daily bread, the daily light that leads their next step, the daily walk with Christ that calls them and convicts them each and every moment of their life and encourages them and inspires them and says, you don't need to know what's in the next five years. What you need to know is who I am and what I desire for you and to follow that today. Now, I'm going to invite you to do something um, different than what we normally do. And and it's different, but don't worry. The Methodist police aren't going to show up and be all, you can't do that, all right? In fact, John Wesley would be really proud of what y'all are going to do next. And that is that I'm going to invite you to come forward and pray. If you can't find room, then get behind the person that's kneeling at the altar rail and just put your hand on their shoulder if you want to. If you're not able to come forward, you don't have to. Uh, you can pray where you're at, but I, I just invite you today to hear what I'm telling you. That you desperately need God. You need to call on Him. You need to trust in what God is calling you to do. And specifically, here are the things that I'll, I invite you to pray for. The first is you probably have a, a friend or a relative or a loved one that is firmly under the hand of Pharaoh. That they are powerless to get out from underneath that. You have talked to them. You have pleaded with them for decades and nothing has happened. And I want you to lift them up today and pray for them. Secondly, maybe you have friends or family in your life that everything is going well for them. Just pray for them, for that to continue. Okay? That God's going to protect them. God's going to watch them. God's going to keep them from all evil. And then finally, would you pray for our church? There are so many missions that are about to happen here in October, and we need to ask God to be at work in those. It's going to take a lot of people to work the pumpkin patch. It takes a lot of people to work at Kairos. It, it takes so many hours and effort, and, and I need you to know that God can make that happen, and we need to call on Him today. And, and there may be a whole other list of people that you need to pray for, things you need to turn over to God, but just turn your heart and everything you are over to Him this day surrender that to him, trust in him, believe in him, and let's do that as a church today. So would you please, as you're able, would you stand, would you come forward? The band's going to play some music, and we're going to spend some time in prayer this morning.